Hey everybody and welcome back to another edition of the Open Forum podcast. Today we have with us Tracy Betridge. Tracy is a physiotherapist and clinic owner from Perth, Australia. And um, it's it's a bit of a different story uh, that we've got with us today. Um, Tracy uh, is unfortunately uh, one of those people that suffered what was apparently a uh, rare side effect as a result of taking the vaccine. Now, Tracy, as I said, I'm, I'm going to keep it brief. And the reason I'm going to keep it brief is because I'd rather you tell this story and, and tell us what exactly is going on. But before we do, can you maybe take a minute to a minute or two to introduce yourself? And then we're just going to dive on into what exactly happened and, and your journey from there, really. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Sunny. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a physio. I've been a physio for 20 plus years. I did my postgrad. Um, uh, I started that about 10 years ago and that took a few years. Uh, I had two practices prior to uh, COVID. Uh, I now have one and uh, I'm not working. Um, I have a, a wonderful team of part-timers. Uh, we've got a lot of skill shortage in, in WA. I'm also a mum of two children. I have a lovely partner. Uh, my children are 10 and 12, so that's this has been quite difficult for them. And uh, I've, I, um, I was embarrassed about this whole vaccine injury for a long time, uh, but coming forward and talking to people, which I did, I did a media um, uh, article just before the class action was launched, in Australia, so I was, I was shortlisted as one of the lead applicants. Um, there was nine of us, and it ended up going with three. But it's 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 quite exciting. That's actually due to due to be responded this week. Mm. So so we're looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, I, I I've had a a serious adverse event from my third or my booster. Okay. And I suppose the elephant in the room here is what was the serious adverse event? And did you did you know that something was coming? As you said, it was your third shot. It was your booster shot. So you would have had two prior. Um, what what if anything did you notice was different about what happened to you? I had no warning signs at all. I had two AstraZeneca because it was very early days uh, in Perth. Um, and other than maybe some tendinosis that uh, on, on each leg, I thought that was a little bit weird, but you put that down to ageing um, as we do and, and we'd clinically we'd probably do the same. And I had no warnings after the booster either. So I had no option, but uh, I had Moderna or Pfizer option at the time. Uh, they'd stopped AstraZeneca in Australia. And I just woke up two and a half weeks later and got up. Uh, the kids, we live quite close. The kids were running late as we always are for school. And uh, when I got into the car, I felt something go in my neck and it a little bit like a muscle, 
I don't like that term, but yeah. um, you know, the, the muscle going because it doesn't go. But it was it was like a puff. It was a it was a release and very central in my neck. And I, then I had an incredible uh, left and right sided. It was very equal. It was bilateral uh, ache that came across into my shoulders. So middle of the neck to the shoulders, very deep joint ache. And then it went travelled down into my elbows, then my wrists and my hands. And and this is all during a three-minute drive to school. And I was like, well, I, I've hurt my neck. I'm going to have to get treatment today. It's a little bit odd that it's on both sides. Um, and, you know, I was just processing who, who I could get treatment with and um, took some Nurofen and some Panadol, of course, thinking that's going to fix everything. And um, and went took took my children up, um, to school and my youngest had a had a bit of a moment and he hates me saying this but he was only eight at the time so so that's okay and we sat down for maybe twenty minutes and we just chatted and during that time I I, I was getting more of what made sense to me I, I, was, I was I was getting pain and tingling. At a segment, segmental level. So I was thinking, yes, okay. So, I, you know, I know which level I've hurt now. And uh, as I got up to leave, I noticed I couldn't feel my trunk. I could just feel my shirt on my trunk. Um, I could I, I could still walk. I, I had my hands. But, you know, I, I, felt, I felt my trunk and it was all numb. And I thought, well, this this isn't just my neck, something's going on. And um, so I jumped back in the car, I, I went home and I, and I called my partner who, who um, he was in the shower and I just said, um, something's wrong, I need to go to hospital. And I laid down because I felt like I, I needed to support my neck. So, so yeah, the girls came, the, an ambulance came, I could still walk. Um, I told them I thought it was Guillain-Barre, um, as that's the only adverse event we had heard of at the time in, um, for neurological. Um, they they thought it was a stroke, and I, I knew it wasn't a stroke, so uh, I let them do the tests, and then they Googled Guillain-Barre. <laughs> um, Always comfort in that, good old Google. <laughs> so not comforting, comforting at all. <laughs> um, and then I probably spent the next a, a very long time in in um, an emergency at the hospital, um, initially being told that it was probably just anxiety. Um, yeah, but uh, but eventually I was admitted. They they didn't want to admit me. Uh, they didn't have room. And looking back, we we didn't have COVID. We really didn't have COVID in Perth, and our our hospital system had had been at its maximum for the last couple of months. Um, and so they they wanted me to go home, but then the eventually the uh, the registrar, the neurology registrar, uh, decided that, or probably was um, was given advice to to not let me go because I'd probably get worse and I'd be coming back in. So, um, so I was put in a makeshift room at the end of a ward, 
for the first night. Yeah. Um, and and was reviewed each day by a different neurologist. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I couldn't even get an MRI straight away. I had to. It, they had to. I had to show them that my symptoms were progressing before that. Before they'd scan me, they were busy. Just from a, a healthcare worker perspective, it seems a bit bizarre that they'd delay and wait so long, but. At the end of the day, that's a bit of the story behind the whole approach to COVID, whereby you know, to be admitted or to be treated, your situation had to be quite dire. I know in the UK, your O2 sats had to be below uh, 90 for them to even consider bringing you in and doing something about it. Um, I know people who were told who were suffering, couldn't breathe, couldn't walk to their kitchen, for example. Yeah, don't come back until your O2 sats are below X. And that's slightly off uh, what we're talking about here. But in a way, it seems like the whole medical approach during this whole period is just not quite there, not quite the level that it needs to be. But you said a few interesting things. One of the first things that you you mentioned there was you didn't have the choice of AstraZeneca anymore. It was either the Pfizer or the Moderna for your booster shot. Now, key element of that is you didn't have a choice of AstraZeneca or it had to be one or the other or the other two. Did you have any choice whether to take it or not to take it at all? Was that option on the table? you guys over there in Oz? No. No, it wasn't. We, um, Western Australia was quite unique. We had big lockdowns prior to even having any COVID cases and we were all mandated. If you wanted to go out, you had to, you had to be double boosted. Hmm. Um, as a healthcare worker, we were given to the end of January 22 to have our third and I was, I'm, I'm the boss. I felt I, I wasn't really keen on getting it, but I felt that I had to lead by example. If uh, I, I didn't, you don't want to mandate your staff, but the government was mandating us. Mm. And um, and yeah, so I, I waited as long as I could. I was, I was actually waiting for for what I thought was the safer. And that was the Novavax, but um, uh, that still took a couple of months afterwards or a couple of weeks at least. So so no choice for us. A, a lot of people stopped it too, but a lot of people have continued, as you know. Yeah. To being boosted. Yeah. And you were in clinic. Now, where I am in, in Amsterdam, I was already seeing people having uh, adverse events. My other half works in a hospital and she was seeing quite some strange happenstances around the same time as the, the shots were being rolled out, what was happening in the ICU. And it's, it's funny. Um, the thing that really was the straw that broke the camel's back for my other half was the fact that 
what was being reported in the news wasn't reflective of what was happening in the ICUs with regards to admittance and whatnot and adverse reactions, adverse events. Prior to you taking that that third shot, had you seen anything in clinic that was making you a little bit dubious? Now, you said you were waiting for the Novavax because you thought that that was the, the safer option of what was available. What was it that gave you that indication there? Um, my partner's quite sceptical. He's, um, uh, he's English. He's, he's, he's a big thinker and he very early on uh, wasn't comfortable with the vaccines and, and so he was researching a lot of about the mRNA mm. and had reservations about that and didn't want me to have that. He had, he had only had the AstraZeneca. Um, so that's where... So I was hearing that from one side, but at, at work I was I was seeing a lot of a lot of people with um, with new conditions, new chronic conditions, new rheumato rheumatoid arthritis is the one that comes to mind, but also people coming in having done nothing and and having quite quite big reactions. And, and you, you and I both know that that's that's nothing new. Most people injure themselves doing what, what is uh, what is a simple task? Mm. And they're stressed, for example, and, and, and they don't, you know, I only just bent over to pick up something small. That's, that's, that's what, what we treat. Yeah, classic. Um, Picking up the little one that they've done a hundred times and they throw their back out kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. And, um, yeah, and, and it's quite rare, I think, to, to actually see, because uh, uh, I'm, I'm in private practice and, and not specialising in sports, so it's quite rare to actually see an injury. You know, tissue damage that's quite rare mm. um and i was seeing lots of people coming in with with big reactions to doing nothing and it wasn't just one thing though they it it might have been you know both legs or, or and or their neck their back um more systemic kind of reactions and and there was some swelling pseudo gout is another one um you know, and and these kind of things weren't um, we, we weren't they weren't mentioned through our training, and all of a sudden I was finding myself having to look up these disorders, and uh, and and they were becoming more common. So yes, I was I was definitely sceptical about what they were doing to our immune system and 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 the massive immune response. Oh. You mentioned that clinics weren't mandating it, but the government was. How was the sentiment uh, around the clinic at the time? Were people keen? Were people getting a bit iffy, getting a bit antsy? Um, how, how were your staff looking at that? Yeah, that's really interesting, and it's it's a big point of discussion in Western Australia the my staff were medical um, uh, a lot of them work in a hospital as well so so they were already boosted mm. and they understood um, and historically where we were taught to look at the evidence mm. and and even what we do is evidence-based. Mm. So it's quite hard to go against that evidence and to question it. 
um, and the way that the government did it here was was quite interesting. They uh, they put the the onus on to business owners. We were threatened. It was either thirty thousand per employee employee. I think thirty. That's a guess. If you employed someone that wasn't vaccinated, that was the fine. Jeez, there is. How they were going to? Well, so it was fear. I can't see how they would have. Uh, in retrospect, I can't see how they they could have policed that. Um, they would have thrown out a few news articles or bulletins to say that that people have been fined, of course, to to keep you on your toes. Well, um, I mean, in in that sense, Australia was pretty authoritarian. I think uh, I've had uh, Senators Alex Antic and Malcolm Roberts on the podcast before as well, and you know. Alex was put into a quarantine camp, uh, marched off getting out of a plane uh, where he'd normally been quarantining at home. You had the story that was going around of the girl who was with someone who tested positive for COVID. They'd found her by her license plate on her moped, hunted her down and took her off to the camps. And you had the, the lads that escaped the voluntary quarantine camps now escape and voluntary doesn't quite sound right no. but then they were hunted <laughs> down within 24 hours yeah it was a manhunt you'd think that you know they they were visitors to Epstein Island or something like that and with the response that you had so I can wholeheartedly appreciate that that fear was there especially when they demonstrated such omnipotence of you know, suddenly being able to find criminals all across the country. Uh, yeah, that doesn't happen normally only day to day. So, yeah, with, with them putting out such a large fine there and such coercive techniques, it doesn't surprise me that it's the way that things went, really. We were probably one of the worst in, in the West we um, we had a lot more restrictions um, than the east, and um, look, people in Perth and Western Australia they really followed the rules. It was it was very surprising. Um, it, uh, yeah, I I I was certainly shocked at the way people d- didn't go out. That didn't didn't even go for walks, or if they did, you, you had rules behind those. We, you know, My partner had his 40th and we felt guilty about having fish and chips on the beach. You know, it was, it, it, it's comical looking back, but there was so much fear about how dangerous it was and the narrative was so strong. Um, and people still follow that narrative, which... Um, is really disappointing. Yeah. The politicians there were going so hard in the paint, they were telling people not to speak to their neighbours because it could be dangerous. Like, you know, everyone's impression of Australia is friendly folk, uh, right, make shrimp on the barbie, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, you're having people being told not to speak to their neighbours because this could be dangerous. And then you're also being told, don't do your own research because that could be dangerous and things like that. And, it, it, this control 
that was had over everyone's outlook and mindset is it's just unfathomable and you mentioned that we're taught in our profession to look at the evidence now i know you're familiar with it now you had pfizer and the fda looking to bury the evidence for 75 years and then were mandated by court to release that evidence have you looked over that or reviewed it at all i know obviously you're involved in the the class action now uh as well as i have across it yes we um we i've looked at the the pfizer documents when when you look at them there's there's not much to see most of it's blacked out as you know um so i i follow dr john campbell um Russell Brand, I, I like um, listening to Naomi Wolf, um, um, and I, you know, I'll, I'll get my information from from those that I trust. Naomi had three and a half thousand people working for her to analyse those Pfizer documents, and they've come up with ninety five or ninety six papers uh, that, that break down um, different sections of of the trials and uh, that's heavy reading it's really hard to listen to especially when when your children have been vaccinated and what uh, the repercussions of that can be um I'm sorry to hear that yeah. well and there was that yeah it, it was a fear-driven pressure that we had here so um it it was part of a tactic used by the government and the most disappointing thing is that they're still sticking to it. It, it. Even after all of this new, all the evidence, there, there isn't evidence to suggest that they were ever safe and effective, yet they're still sticking to that. And we've got, there's so much evidence against them, but they're not willing at a state or a federal level here to, to admit any wrongdoing. Well, it's the same the world over no government has yet acknowledged it to the point where Canada has stopped releasing some of their figures. Uh, Scotland actually did a fairly decent job of releasing their figures. We're doing monthly releases and then you could really see excess mortality rates. I think it was towards the start of this year because so many people were using it to show that there were issues. They then stopped releasing the information so frequently and so publicly um but even when you look at the the trial data prior to the court mandated release of the documents that they wanted to take 75 years to release after two months it was decided to vaccinate the placebo group now that in and of itself is a massive massive red flag in that if you don't have a placebo group you can no longer uh, show what's safe or what's effective and what's interesting for those that kept up with that is you had more deaths than in the vaccinated group than you had in the unvaccinated group and if that happens in a clinical trial you're supposed to stop things there and investigate what's going on um that should have happened and never did which is also quite unnerving and the fact that 
this was a known element from the FDA, from the TGA, from uh, the Medicines uh, Health and Regulatory Authority in the UK, all these different bodies. Nothing was done with this information. Surely, for someone like yourself, it must be quite frustrating to see that all these different people had all of this information, and yet they just go with a narrative anyway. You've got to wonder whether they read it. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's my thinking is that Australia, for example, we, we took most of our advice from the US. Uh, that's, that's not going to work. And then, then when it suits them, they'll say, oh, we're following Europe or, you know, we're, we're following the UK. It, 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 it's, you want them <laughs> to do their job and look at the data and make a decision for what's best for their population, not for the US, not, not, for, not for other countries. So, so that's absolutely that's been really frustrating because a lot of people would have known. Mm. Um, and and our our parliamentarians were never mandated. They're the only ones. They're the only ones that haven't been. So it is. Um, so maybe they did know. So I'm just speculating, of course. But per- perhaps they they did know and um, and decided against it. It's um, it, it's it is. The, in Australia, we've got a really poor compensation scheme. I'm, I'm not even eligible for it um, because whilst transverse myelitis is recognised, it's only recognised for AstraZeneca. So you have a lot of injured that are falling through the gaps. Uh, even myocarditis and pericarditis is only with the mRNA. If you get that from uh, AstraZeneca, for example, you're not, you're not eligible. So it's... Um, uh, and the the amounts are, are significant that are being offered uh, are coming down and are embarrassing um, and almost inhumane. Um, there's there's one of the lead applicants received his yesterday, and one percent he got offered for pain and suffering. There's a cap on each one percent, and and this gentleman has been in terrible pain to the point where they did surgery on his pericardium and unknown this is unknown surgery to try and reduce open heart surgery to reduce the pain that he was having and he was offered one percent and in the early days they were they didn't think there were many people in this scheme so they were they were paying them out very quickly and they were paying decent amounts that would help people um but now it's it, it's it's a game, and if and it appears if you're not represented by a lawyer, you you'll be offered the one percent no matter what your pain and suffering. It's so cruel and just heartless at this point. And again, like you said, um, you can speculate that maybe they knew. I would, I'd bet me house that these people knew because if you look at again like you said taking it from the US perspective those politicians were never mandated you had the different departments of health that were never mandated yet the frontline staff were 
Now, if you're the people that are pushing this out, why aren't you guys mandating it for yourselves? Or why aren't you guys taking up the mandates? Now, there was at one point a very funny excuse of, oh, we want to make sure there's enough for everyone else before we do it, which <laughs> so noble. is, uh, yeah, so noble, hilarious in and of itself. Then you had the UK party gate where politicians were partying every Friday. It was that serious that you know, they could party every Friday for them. So they knew a lot that they weren't telling us. But actually, there's a very important question that I haven't asked yet. And that's, you know, you've got transverse myelitis. We're saying it's because of the vaccine. But has that been medically diagnosed or is this just speculation from yours on my part? Uh, I do have it in writing. I've, I've got three specialists and uh, I'm I'm unique. Uh, there's not many of us <laughs> that are injured that have it in writing. Um, I uh, So I stayed four or five nights in hospital and each day you see a different consultant and and I asked them, and could it could it have been the vaccine? Because it can transverse myelitis can also be post-viral. Um, and each of them said, no, no, it's not, it's not. Until the last day, the um, the neurologist who specialises more in, um, because at that stage there wasn't many transverse myelitis in Perth, and he said, 100%, yes, it's the vaccine. This is a vaccine-related injury. So, so I left hospital. Angry, um, confused, of course, um, and uh, yeah, I've got someone to blame. I've, 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 I feel whether that's healthy or not. I'm, I'm not sure. But it took it took the fifth neurologist to admit that. Um, it doesn't do me any good for compensation, but um, at least. Sometimes knowing is half the battle. At least you know. Yeah. It's a a bittersweet comfort, but at at least you know that, okay, I'm not crazy. This isn't someone wearing a tinfoil hat. There is a link here. There is a known element here. Um, Like you mentioned, there's a lot of different reactions there are a lot of people that have these issues and just don't know and it took the fifth consultant to finally come clean with you essentially there are going to be a lot of people out there listening to this that have issues that don't even realize that it could have come from the uh, shots that they'd had i hesitate to to yeah want to call them a vaccine for too long because at the end of the day that those are supposed to do something that these quite clearly didn't. They didn't stop transmission. They didn't stop infection. In fact, all they did was create massive issues and problems. I don't know if you're familiar with Ed Dowd. Are you familiar with that name? You know, uh, the big short movie with Christian Bale, the one about the 2008 financial crash? Yes. Yeah. Basically, the fellow that that's based on, uh, he's a financial analyst the wall street fella who I, yes i do know him and it was your accent i, I apologize so yes but <laughs> no, please explain <laughs> no worries no worries uh for the listeners who are unaware he's a he's an analyst and 
his bread and butter is looking at data, looking at numbers and figuring out what the trends are, what the patterns are. He figured out that there was going to be a, a financial bust essentially around 2007, 2008. And he bet against the markets. Everyone thought he was crazy. Lo and behold, as we all know, in hindsight, he was spot on. He was on the money. He's done the exact same thing with the facts and figures as it relates to the vaccine, uh, as it relates to the shots and both excess deaths, so above what would be normal for those periods of time, and also disability. And what they've calculated is for US figures alone, there's around 26 million uh, additional disability claims post rollout of these shots. That's an extra 26 million. And one of the big things that he points out when looking at this data is the economical implications of that are going to be massive because not only have you got a massive chunk of the workforce that's now out and these claims are put through on the workforce category of people so we're talking the ages of 16 to 64 the people that are bringing in the money for the economy to keep it growing and keep it going essentially so we're not talking about grandma grandpa we're talking about the day's workforce today tomorrow for the coming years and the implications go far beyond that because there are going to be people that are going to be coming out of work to help support their family to help support their friends and coming back to that for yourself as you mentioned you're not working at present how's that going how is that for you and the family because as you mentioned you know, even the compensation that's being given now, it's its not a significant amount for people that are unable to work. I had uh, uh, quite low income protection, uh, which is probably about a third of what I was living on prior. Um, of course, having your own practice, um, income goes up and down, um, as you're aware. And um, but living on a third is is quite hard. I'm, I'm the primary income earner in this house. Um, my partner lost his job during COVID, early days of COVID. Um, he was in the finance sector, and we made the decision for him to go and study. So um, so he he works part time for me. Um, but it was, but that was that was his money <laughs> to, to spend, and 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 I was paying for everything at home. So I had uh, some savings. I've got two two children, um, a girl and a boy, and a very old house. And I had planned an extension, um, really, to allow my daughter to have. We needed another bathroom. Um, I'm. Uh, it's it's a tiny house. There's no storage, and uh, I've been living off off that savings, which has taken me so long, so long to to build to save up. And um, and I'm lucky if if I didn't, I yeah, I I don't know. I'd probably have lost the house. I, I I'm I'm unsure of of what people do if they don't have savings and they're in this situation. Um, especially if they're the one that's bringing in the money. If if their partner works and 
and they don't have to, then then that's they're very fortunate. But um, I I don't know. I, I actually had a um, I had repeated um, glands in in my um, in my armpit and and in my breast since this has happened. And for the first time, and and I, I, when I feel them, and the, and I feel them at night time because they're painful, I will go and get them scanned. I'll, I'll, I'll get a mammogram. I'll get an ultrasound. But this week, um, when I had that done, it's it's almost four hundred dollars out of pocket. Jesus. And I thought, I thought this is well. They they subsidised it during COVID times, and um, and so you could actually get it a uh, complete rebate. So, so no out-of-pocket expense. And they've stopped that. And uh, and the wait time in Perth was four or five months to get a breast scan. So I thought, no, that's too long. So I'll go privately and and pay that $400. But after that, I, I, I felt that is the first time where I've thought, no, I, I can't afford to, do this. to look after my health, <laughs> that's too. It's too much, and when you're getting them this often, um, yeah, I have to prioritize. Yeah, it just becomes something that unfortunately will fall to the wayside. Um, now, obviously, I don't mean to to labor on the negatives here, but how? How have the people around you responded to all of this and how has it been received by uh, those around you? Have they been quite open to the discussion or have they been trying to bury their heads in the sand on it or is it an elephant in the room? I have, I do have some friends that, that right from the start have been pro-choice um, and very supportive. I had a, a very good friend uh, working at one of the universities and she'd worked there for over 20 years and um, and she chose, she's she's a quadriplegic and she chose to not be vaccinated and they fired her and it wasn't, it, it wasn't kind. Um, and that's... People like that um, have have been wonderful, and and especially especially her with with you know we've now got matching lesions <laughs> in our spine, <laughs> and um, yeah, she's she's been a, a, a good source of of help in terms of anger and acceptance um, because she's she's had to live it herself. But in terms of in terms of others. It's been it's been really challenging. The narrative's so strong here. The the narrative at the school um, that my children were at at the time had a lot of doctors, had a lot of professionals working there, and it was looked down on to not have your children vaccinated. Um, my family, uh, um, my, my father listens listens to his GP. As if he's got, he's he would still be getting vaccinated if if I hadn't explained it to him, um, and and others are still thinking that the vaccines are safe and effective, and and you get tired of of arguing. It's um, 
you can just provide down. some evidence. Mm. You would have the same. Um, it's it's something that that you are so passionate. You've read. That's all. It feels like that's mostly what I've read for the last, um, especially for the last year and a half. And I'm I'm convinced, and 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 the data is convincing. Yet, when you try and go against what the government is saying, what big business is saying, um, then people people don't want to listen. It must. You mentioned it's tiring having to you know, have these conversations again and again. Now. You're already going through the ringer with the serious adverse event that you've had with your transverse myelitis. It must be doubly fatiguing having to to both listen to people's stories and also fight the battle at the same time of trying to explain it to people that don't get it. How have you been coping with that? How, how's that side of things for you? You've got to prioritise your health and your healing. Um, uh, stress, if I get too stressed, and 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 I've got a sh much shorter fuse now, um, you can ask my children, <laughs> um, extra stress makes you tired and it's, it's, it's not worth it. It's, um, I, I've got to redirect um, these friends and um, to podcasts to to other other ways of of educating them um, because it's it's not it's not worth the effort of of me being upset and having a bad day tomorrow or or a a, a worse day um, it's it's heartbreaking as well because you, you love you love your friends you love your family and. You don't want them continuing to to think that these vaccines were a good idea, or they're safe, and or that they're they're the better option than actually catching COVID, uh, which which we know mm. isn't true. What would be your advice at this point, and in, in 2023 we're sort of 15 16 months down the road past when your incident occurred to anyone that might be suffering but is unsure of what to do and and doesn't know if it's related or not or doesn't want to accept i'd i'd start talking to people and ask if they know anybody else that's been affected, um, we all know people that have been affected. So uh, being able to discuss it with somebody that's gone through something similar is is really helpful. Um, and there's so many forums, there's so many um, places where you can just ask even health professionals. You, you can always broach the broach the subject with them and ask them, like like for, you, for yourself as an example, as a physio, not just your GP, but ask, have you seen something similar to this? Um, 
are there other people? Am I the only one that this is happening to? Um, just start to to look outside of, of what we're being told in the mainstream. Um, there's, there's so much evidence to support um, not, not just single adverse reactions, but this, this complex multi-system impact which involves vascular, your heart, neuropathic. It, it, it's, it's so encompassing and no one's the same. It's not rare. I'm not one in a million. <laughs> so, uh, we've just got to start talking about it and start reading for yourself, but, but get off that mainstream and, and start looking into, into these alternate forums where, where the people have been, um, where they've been banned. That, that's where I'd start. <laughs> even, even Facebook is, is, um, is still uh, stopping this um, misinformation or disinformation. Yeah, yeah. Well, what they label as mis and disinformation, um, which is interesting in and of itself, given the Twitter files that we've now had released, that actually all these things are is conjecture from the social media giants' own whims and wills. Uh, none of it's based on fact. It's and it's just what they're being told by the government of the day for what the government of the day want out there or don't want out there, and. Yeah, there are Reddit groups that have been shut down as it relates to vaccine injuries and whatnot. And what you mentioned about it's not a one in a million serious adverse event. Well, actually, there's a peer-reviewed published article that puts it down to about one in 536, which is you know, a not insignificant number. I think I've got the paper here. Serious adverse events of special interest following mRNA. COVID-19 vaccination in randomized trials in adults by Freeman et al. And as always, this stuff will be linked in the description for, for people that Brilliant. want to review that. But, you know, when when you read that, after we were told, like, there's nothing wrong, take it, you'll be all right, and don't worry about it, just, just do as you're told, you know, mask up and we're going to get through this and it's only two weeks to flatten the curve and all those other sound bites that we had essentially to keep us in line and to corral the cattle as it were and a couple of years down the line you hear that stories like yours that aren't very uncommon things that i've seen in clinic it's it's gut-wrenching to know that these were known elements these were things that they try to hide they're still hiding it, and uh, they are in Australia. Um, just last week, uh, they passed a disinformation law. So the government uh, hasn't consulted. Um, so that's their that's their way of dealing with uh, not admitting that they were wrong. Is is to now silence others that that have the evidence that they're wrong. And it's um, it, and it's not just it, it's not, not just um, at one level of government. It's it's in the Senate. Um, you know, the lower house. It's we're seeing it, uh, and people are, are are tweeting those conversations. Uh, so we've got a, a couple of really good senators, um, and and 
and members, members of House, that are championing for us, but at a cost. They're, they have to work really hard um, and some of them are at the end of their career. It's it's the younger ones that are standing up that I really admire um, and those that have just uh, responded to to your emails and sent letters on on your behalf and and you know for example there's there's Russell Broadbent in um, in Monash and he's nowhere near Fremantle <laughs> uh, and yet he's done more for me to get my name out there than than my local MP who of course is is um, is on the side that's that's in power at the moment. As well, the fact that the people that are supposed to represent you are doing nothing of the sort, nothing of the kind. You know, your local MP doesn't dare utter your name and you're having to rely on someone down the road who, for all intents and purposes, should be dealing with the stuff over that way um, and is having to now champion the issues that you're now bringing up. And... It's gotten to the point where Western society no longer feels like a democracy. And it's probably something that was happening for a long period of time before that as well. And I don't mean to turn this one into a political debate. Uh, I've already had the, the politicians on the show. I've already mentioned um, Senators Antic and, and Roberts. But how does it feel knowing that you've got no representation from those that are elected in essence you, know? you you feel forgotten um but i think a vaccine injury especially having having as long ago as i had it even though that wasn't early um you are forgotten um, you, you, you're kind of used to that. You're on your own, um, and it's and it's an everyday battle. So I'm I'm not surprised. Um, there, there's some good initiative initiatives that are that are being developed to try and wake up the government um, as to how serious and how widespread this is. But we just have to see those occur. Um, but there has to be a lot more people coming forward and telling their story and being heard. It, the embarrassment at the start, it, it's hard to explain, but, but there was a bit of shame. Um, I, I, didn't want, I don't think I told some of my friends for six months. It, you, you're just trying to heal. You, um, I was told I was going to get better in three months' time, but that never occurred. But you've, uh, they knew I was injured but um, didn't know the details. And, and it's there was, yeah, and, and it's, there's not any more, but there was at the start a real embarrassment about it. Um, but we have to... We have to keep speaking out, and the best thing I did was was that initial interview, and it, it was very scary to start with. You, you don't want people knowing your medical history or, um, or your financial details, but the amount of positive support I got from that, not 
both from friends, from from colleagues, from from people, uh, fellow physios that that read it, very supportive. Um, I let my partner read the negative ones, which were which are mostly uh, on the social platforms, on the larger social platforms. Um, so he would just <laughs> he would get those right. and yeah. <laughs> just just read the positive ones. But but from my experience, from even the jab injuries story, uh, anything in the paper over here or online um, was overwhelmingly positive, and people helping. You know, not not necessarily not necessarily great help. <laughs> you know, you're going to get a lot of alternate. Um, uh, uh, suggestions that you have to then go and research yourself, and I know that these people really mean well, and but but the fact that they're trying to help you is that's a community, um, that's what we need, and that's what anyone that that potentially thinks they're vaccinated, they that's the kind of reaction you're going to get now, and certainly don't be scared to tell your story. Um, it's it's so common and and you know, people like yourself that um, we believe we believe it and we know it to be true that one in 500 I thought it was one in 600 and something um, so you know it, it keeps going down yeah. and it's only going to go lower and lower as more and more people come Absolutely. forward because that's the other side of the coin here what is being reported isn't everything again there's studies that show that what's reported in the VAERS database is between one to a hundred percent less of uh, or ten to a hundred percent less of what it could be because of the fact that two and two isn't put together doctors are told that it's safe and effective so they don't write reports as they assume that it can't be the culprit here at hand and what you mentioned of not wanting people to know your medical privacy that kind of hits hard for me in as I mentioned to you before I live in Amsterdam Amsterdam's the place where you find Anne Frank's house Anne was hiding from people who are asking for your health pass and then they're asking for that exact thing to go and visit inside that house it the irony hit me and hit me hard of, of what was happening here but something really important that you mentioned there is the fact that there is this community around you and there are people that will listen. And I think more and more people need to kind of shed that fear and embarrassment that you initially had and realize that when they speak out, they're empowering others to do the same and to feel like it's okay. And it's really strange to say that, to to feel like it's okay. We shouldn't be in a position where we should feel like it's not okay to be open and honest with what's happened to us. But like you said, the narrative has been pressed so strong that you've got no choice and but to feel that way. However, one of the things that we kind of haven't spoken about is what the impact has been on you in your day-to-day -day life, in your day-to-day -day routine. Like you're, you're a physio, generally speaking. It's an active bunch of people. Um, you're not working anymore. How has this affected your day-to-day -day situation? What, what's been impacted 
it's it's everything. It's um, it's I have to look at it as the new me um, and new limitations um, and goals, and I have to pace. I have to plan. Uh, I, I basically can do one thing a day, uh, one large. You know, one large task is, for example, um, and often that will be um, therapy because I've I've lost a lot of strength in my hands and my triceps. So I'll prioritize my my yoga or getting to the pool or um, I've been doing art to try and help my hands. So I have to prioritize those and then factor in. Uh, picking up the kids, even even running the kids around to their sport after school. So um, some days I won't be able to do those. And if my partner's um, off uni at the time, then he will help or I'll, I can ask um, family to help out as well. But that's, it's, it's, you've got to, you've just got to plan and you've got to deal with that 24-7 pain, which, um, which ironically, I loved treating chronic pain patients because I really felt it was rewarding. Um, and now, now I'm living it um, and having to deal with it. But it's it's a different thing knowing knowing all the theory in your head and and why you should be doing something. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't translate to you doing it. You still need somebody else to tell you uh, and to guide you um, and that's that's been difficult because I, I hear I hear the theory again but I, I, I can't be listening to it as a therapist I've got to be listening to it as a patient and that's what I'm, I'm currently doing with some um, with some therapies is trying to to feel the impact of these changes that I have to make as opposed to clarify the theory in my head. <laughs> um, and that's that's hard, but, you know, if, if, I, if I do get back to being a physio, I'm hoping that that will be something that will be really useful um, or invaluable uh, when, when treating people similar to me um, because... It is a, a different uh, mindset, or, uh, and the knowledge is different when you're living it. It gives you a totally different appreciation uh, having that lived experience of the situation when you're discussing with patients. I found um, not to make a one-to-one -one comparison. Of course, it's completely different things, but after i had a knee operation when i was discussing things with patients and i was able to turn around and say to them hey this is what you're feeling i know what that's like yeah this is what we're going to do to try to help that it, it it there's two things one it allows you to empathize far better with the patient and and two it gives the patient a little bit more trust as well that you, know, you do understand what's going on and you're not just standing on the other side of the bench and and blowing a load of hot smoke so i i really hope for you as well you do get the opportunity to to get back in clinic and and 
get back to doing what it is that you enjoy, what you love, what you've been doing for the past 20 years of your life, you know, to, to have that ripped away by people that refuse to acknowledge or take responsibility of, of what's happened is a gut punch is underselling it a little bit in, in what it is. It, it does, uh, because we define ourselves as, as what we do, which is, is nice until it's taken away. Um, but you were ju- you, as you were saying about your knee and, you know, I know how you're feeling and this is what you need to do. And on the flip side, it's also given me an insight into, into things that I shouldn't have said or <laughs> I could have phrased better. And that's, that's something... Um, for a, a simple example is asking someone that has um, constant pain that's that's all over the body, asking them to meditate um, or be mindful. And, and we know that that's a very good way for pain, but not when it's so encompassing. Um, I, I would definitely rephrase it now and say you're probably better off doing a mindful activity. So, so you're doing something so that you're not sitting there and, and, and feeling the pain so much, but you're actually distracting yourself, but, but it's still mindfulness. So um, there's my little tip for people that, that are in, um, for physios that are treating people in chronic pain, just, just, just watch your wording on, on that advice. I noticed that at the start, actually, I was thinking always a consummate professional as a, as a physio when you were talking about my neck going and then you were like, I know that's not the way I should say it, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you, you, your words are everything at, at the end of the day and and yours are quite powerful as it stands, uh, unfortunately, in the situation that you find yourself in. Uh, you mentioned, I think, before the mics went live, that uh, hopefully there should be some decisions this week. Uh, is that something that you can speak about? Uh, I haven't been updated. We were supposed to be updated um, last night by one of the lead applicants and also the the wonderful Dr Mel from Queensland who was the driving force behind the class action. Um no, uh, well, the, um, the government it was is supposed to respond this week to the class action, uh, which was against the TGA, the Health Department, and the Commonwealth. Um, but they keep asking for an extension. Uh, but we are hoping that there's going to be something. Um, so some response from them. Uh, as the evidence that the class action has is overwhelming. And I'm seriously hoping that this will change the government narrative. If they have to admit in court, uh, federal court, the damage that was known that potentially could um, could occur and has occurred with these vaccines, if, that's, if that comes out, then could be enough to change the mainstream thinking in Australia. And uh, that's that's something that's that's really positive for 
for our society and, and free speech. Um, that's that, that's a big concern for me is, is how this has been hidden and just the way that we're, we're going forward and, and the, the government that we're going to have for, for our children, it's, it's, it's very concerning. It's, this is not, we're not living in a free democratic thinking society here at the moment. That's one of the scary things about Australia prior to COVID. I always thought of that as being one of the places that I wouldn't mind moving to. My other half during uh, uh, her studies did uh, her placement over in Australia as well. She loves Australia. She's visited many times and there we both spoke about maybe one day in the future moving over that way. But looking at the response and the way that everything went and the way that everything continues to go and like you say, the absolute loss of free speech, the controls that are going to be had on the internet. I think you guys are going to have to have an ID to access the internet soon enough as well. So everything you do is going to be tracked and traced and all the rest of it. There's no freedom. Um, uh, That is a scary prospect in Western society. That's the Chinese authoritarian dictatorship uh, that, that is being rolled out that way. Um, you've got people like Alex Antic, like Malcolm Roberts sitting in the Senate House who are speaking up and speaking out and Alex is part of the party of the day as well right, the Labour's still in charge if I'm not mistaken, out that way Uh, yes but he's Liberal is he liberal? Oh, okay. I had that wrong in my head. I'm pretty sure. But that's okay. Yeah, okay. He, he wouldn't. There, there are a couple of labors on. I know that there's a few on the fence. Okay. Um, and this is this has come from we had um, um, a seam Mahotra come out mm-hmm. for for about two weeks, and and as part of he he did a talk with a, a, an offshoot group or, or an alternate group to the AMA or Australian Medical Association called AMPS and um, and they had speakers in each main capital I, I don't think they went to Darwin um, or maybe not maybe not Hobart but they did a talk a scene did a talk to the public and on some of them he also spoke to health professionals and then in his off time he went to Parliament and he spoke in Canberra um, and I know that he he spoke to Parliament in Perth as well. Um, after he spoke in Canberra, was the next well, the very next day we had Brendan Murphy uh, announce that businesses companies uh, will no longer be supported if they choose to mandate the vaccines. So, so cool. Absolutely, but it's. Um, it's taken that. It's taken somebody from overseas with, with a, um, you know, his his public profile is is and his knowledge is is fantastic. He's a great speaker if you get to see him as well. Um, but it's taken that to convince our government, um, and it, that's not how it should be. Uh, and, and in fact, we also Perth had. Perth had the biggest talk. We we filled out um, 
we had over 2,000 people listening to a scene, but we also had Julian Assange's father and dad, as, <laughs> um, who I missed his name. Um, yeah, and we had Naomi Wolf as well. So for me, that was, it was a very long, um, it was a very long uh, night. Uh, it started early and it finished uh, almost it's, um, around about 6.30 and it, and it finished close to midnight. And there was so much information, not necessarily new information, but just having it all put together um, was so overwhelming for me. It took me three days to get over it. Jesus. It's, it was, especially, I think Naomi Wolf's was, was hard hitting, but, but hearing the other, the other talks, Edward Dowd and, and Asim, um, who has, Asim has a brilliant way of, of thinking big picture and explaining it clearly, yet still having a very good doctor-patient uh, approach. So, so his talk was was inspiring, and he um, and he went last, and and you know, and really emphasised the way forward, how we can change things, um, a, a plan, um, how how we change the thoughts of, of the government. Um, how we create community and the community strength. So there, there was a lot of positive things, um, but for me it was overwhelmingly um, you know, disappointed in the government. Um, and it was, it was, yeah, it it it, it hit me um, as it would have any other person that was vaccinated person that. that was lucky enough to watch it. Um, yeah, it was it, it was hard listening. What would be your way of moving forward in in a positive way to to help? Yeah, help us all. Yeah, here. absolutely. I I do. I'm um I am in contact with one of the leaders of. Uh, uh, one of the directors of AMPS, the president of AMPS, um, to try and get a community movement of Vax Injured to approach their local MPs. So so they're working at the ground, that they potentially are going to work at the ground level um, and have an ad, you know, advertising campaign as, um, through social media, a lot of social media, um, work to get people to speak to their local MP, ask for them to have a discussion of one-on-one because it's a lot more powerful if you hear somebody's story face-to-face, uh, but also make those MPs accountable so everybody can see how many people are injured and, and what they're doing about it and uh, you know, are, they, are they meeting with these people. So that's the kind of pressure we need to put on on our local MPs, um, and and I'll anyone I meet locally, I'll, I'll I'll tell them, I'll ask them, have you have you have you uh, written to the local MP? Have you asked for for a meeting? Um, because without that, we're not going to change that underlying government narrative, and and we're not going to change the future. This could happen again. 
Um, and I think that's 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 one way. Um, the other is speaking to people like yourself and uh, and you know, some Australian podcasts. We've got a, a lot of uh, free speech um, podcasts that are that are on often on Facebook or Rumble now. Rumble seems to be the one that people are inclining to go towards because there's not so much um, restriction on speech. Yeah. yeah. Thank they pulled you. out of France for that exact reason, actually, yes. if I'm not mistaken. Um, as uh, France were trying to enforce some rules that that were going against what it was that Rumble stood for and what people hoped Rumble stood for, and they pulled out, and rightly so, in my opinion. Um, so, no, it's, it's good to see that happening at the big tech level essentially and and rumble will become a player on that level i think it's not quite youtube yet youtube is always the place for a bigger audience a bigger reach but i think as you say things are things are shifting things are moving and if we create that community of people that want the free speech it doesn't matter what ministry of truth our governments try to create or what semblance of 1984 that they try to create out here. If we look at the local level, there are people around us that we can rely on. There are people around us that we can speak to. And if we can find that at the local level and we can help that blossom, those communities are only going to grow and come into contact with other isolated communities, maybe, or perceived isolated communities. But there's so many people now. There's so many of us out there that are searching for the truth and are wanting to know what's happened. I always say there's three sides to every story, your side, my side, and the truth. And there are more people looking for that third option and not just trusting what they're seeing on the mainstream. And I think that's a nice way to to wrap things up as you know i know it's also getting on a little bit in the morning for you and you have other things to do too <laughs> not so as early as you <laughs> i'm starting to see the sunrise which is nice uh, <laughs> um yeah i really appreciate you being willing to to share your story with us here and uh i thank you for your courage and coming forward and i hope that spurs on more people to both come forward with their stories and share within their local communities because from where i'm sitting in clinic i speak to virtually everyone about it whether they want to hear it or not and i found an overwhelmingly maybe not positive in the sense of you know, they agree but no one has to agree and it's not my job to convince people all i want is an open dialogue and that's what i want on this podcast as well people to have the opportunity to share an open dialogue and it's only through open dialogue that we can progress things you know recently um hotes uh was saying that in science we don't debate that's the exact opposite of science we're supposed to debate it's the exact opposite of life yeah it's the spice of life having a conversation with someone that you, know, you don't necessarily see eye to eye so long as you stay civil and, and can have a proper conversation so i'm I'm glad to see that that people are willing to do that and and to speak about it regardless of what side of the fence that that they sit on and no I, I 
again, thank you so much. It's a pleasure, Sonny, and thank you for for getting up so early to speak to me and um, and to continue your journey in helping others and yourself find the truth. And that's the only way forward. And I, I do like um, how you put about the science and the debate. And because if if we can't debate it, it's propaganda. And it's um, and you can't. Yeah, it's. It's something we all have to be watching, be listening, and be changing. Not even not for our sake, but for our, for our children's sake as well. 